Welcome to Raising Rochester. I'm Pete Nabosny. Raising Rochester is brought to you by the Children's Agenda and focuses on the key issues affecting children and families in Rochester and New York State. I do not have a guest today. Instead, I'm turning over the reins of this week's podcast to the Schuyler Center for Analysis and Advocacy, an organization that partners with the Children's Agenda on a host of children's policy issues. The Schuyler Center recently hosted a conversation titled The Path to Universal Child Care, and I thought it would make for a great Raising Rochester podcast listen as well. One quick note. The audio from Maria White cut in and out during one segment, so a portion of her opening response was lost. I think you'll still enjoy the rest of the message. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us for our next Schuyler Center conversation. Um, This is our fourth uh, of our series of conversations with experts about policies that strengthen New York children and families, uh, reduce child poverty, improve child well-being, and center equity and justice. Previous Schuyler Center conversations have focused on the child tax credit, child welfare, the New York state budget. And today's conversation is gonna focus on one of my favorite topics, childcare. I'm Dee Dee Hill. I'm policy director at the Schuyler Center for Analysis and Advocacy. And this year, Schuyler Center is celebrating our 150th anniversary. If you have been on calls with any of us who are part of the Schuyler Center team in these last several months, you are certainly aware that this is our birthday year. We are all super proud of this achievement and love to brag about it. Throughout our long history, we have fought hard for policies that improve the lives of New York's children and families. And in this this moment, this year of 2022, this mission feels more important than ever. So Schuyler Center goals now and for much of our 150th, 50 year uh, history, our goals have included advancing policies that will set New York State on a path to ending child poverty, to expanding access to high quality childcare and and pre-K, to reducing racial disparities in in all of our systems that serve families, but particularly a real focus on our child welfare system and ensuring our, our Medicaid system serves and centers our youngest New Yorkers and many other policies. So in today's conversation, we are going to focus on recent New York State child care budget and legislative wins and how we can build from these um, real accomplishments and, and move toward a New York where high quality, affordable, accessible childcare is available to all New York children and move towards a New York where the childcare workforce is paid a thriving wage. I am super excited to be joined in this conversation with two New York experts, and both are also amazing child care champions. First, uh, Maria White. She is Deputy County Executive of Erie County, New York. She's held that role since January of 2015 and is the 
first woman in a generation to hold that title. I love that. In this role, Maria advances the county's most significant economic development projects. She provides strategic operational support for the county's many departments. She's held many other positions among them. Uh, she was commissioner of the Erie County Department of Environment and Planting, Planning. She was the sixth district Erie County legislator. I could go on and on. So super excited to have Maria here. I do want to provide some really important context, particularly we might have some folks joining us today who are not New Yorkers, not steeped in New York geography, but Erie County includes Buffalo, New York. Um, Buffalo is our second largest city in the state. It is a city that we always hold dear, um, but are holding it particularly close at this moment when the city is still reeling, the whole state is still reeling from the the racist massacre that occurred in May. So just needed to say that and so excited to have you here, Maria. And then uh, we're also joined by Shanita Bowen. She is a director of operations and a family child care provider advocate for the grassroots organization ECE on the Move. Um, ECE on the Move is a force to be reckoned with in, in New York City and around the state. They are a network of over 600 early care educators. They uh, organize efforts to build up an equitable childcare system that is shaped by the needs of childcare providers and parents. And before the pandemic, Shanita was a family childcare provider for 17 years in the Fordham area community of the Bronx. So welcome Shanita. Shanita is also uh, one of our amazing fierce leaders of the Empire State Campaign for Child Care, which is uh, New York's statewide campaign to bring universal child care to New York. So thank you, Shanita. And, you know, before we dive deep into some of the wonky policy, I can, can you start by sharing with us, Shanita, a little bit of your story as a child care provider. I've been on a ton of calls with you, and I've heard you say so many times, how much you miss your time as a child care provider. You, you do not have, you're not running a program right now. You, your program was one of the casualties of the pandemic. And if you could just talk a little bit, paint a picture of sort of what happened and what you missed most. Hi, absolutely. First, I wanna say happy anniversary, 150th anniversary to Scatter Center. And um, I will say it has definitely been a privilege uh, to work with you, Didi, and it's a privilege to join in this conversation with you. And thank you for all of the advocacy work you've done through the years to support caregivers and educators and families uh, through all of your tireless legislative work in childcare. And I want to definitely say it's an honor to also hold conversation with the Deputy County Executive of Gary County, Ms. Maria White. Um, I am a very huge fan of your work. So thank you so much. I'm, I'm gonna love this hour we have together. Um, yes, I, I did operate my um, small business, uh, group family daycare, which is what 
we like to do, women like to do, uh, it's an option uh, to operate a business when um, you want to, it starts first, you know, you want to make um, extra money and your home and you decide you just love caring for the children and your small business becomes a uh, a bigger business, you develop it, you develop um, educational components to it, your home all of a sudden looks like a school. I loved my program. I had I operated it out of two rooms and the every room was just a, every nook and cranny was just something different for the children to do. It's just absolutely amazing time with the children. What I miss most is teaching, being uh, innovative in how to teach the children of all of the ages. I miss all my firsts of crying when I didn't really know how to change pamper correctly. And then have, <laughs> and then uh, just through the years, you, you become an expert at it. It's, it was just beautiful, wonderful. And I know um, most of the providers who are, if any providers are watching right now, they can share that experience. I did have to close down at the start of the pandemic simply because I got married and I had to move. So when you move, you change licenses, the old one goes down, the new one comes up. And so I had made my flyers. I was ready to start serving again. You know, husband told me you know, what hours that he would accept this. And, you know, I was very excited. And I remember I was ready to de deliver flyers and the city shut down that Monday. And so I was left with no children on my enrollment to benefit from the waivers that would come about. So no waivers, I could only count on if uh, any of uh, the essential workforce uh, going to work at the hospital uh, could pay. And there weren't many. And I did benefit from uh, the lift. The Lower Income Investment Fund did give uh, private grants and allowed you to say what you needed the money for. That was the best thing that could have happened. Could have happened to me. It did allow me to serve a few children, and, and then again with, without waivers and ability to um, apply for stabilization, I actually shut down. And I am looking forward to restarting childcare again. I'm very appreciative of the new, newer uh, reimbursement rates considering when I shut down, the, the rates were drastically lower. I do, I do look forward to serving children again. Thank you so much, Shanita. And uh, we'll, we're gonna circle back to, the, to, to those uh, higher rates. Um, definitely wanna talk about that in a minute. So uh, thank you for sharing your personal story. And, and it's so important to ground ourselves in the why we need to work to create a better child care system and, and to really support and center the child care providers um, the, who are overwhelmingly women, almost all women of color and who, who, um, who we all rely, all of us who have had kids and been in child care really count, hold you among the most important people in our lives. So certainly um, when our kids uh, were, were in that phase, which I miss a lot because I have two teenagers, but I won't go into that right now. Um, so I, I wanna, uh, so I'm gonna shift gears a little, give a quick overview of the significant um, new childcare investments that were included uh, in this year's New York State budget that was passed in April of 2022. And I'm gonna 
mention one um, real, really important piece of the New York City budget, which was passed, I believe, in June of this year, um, and then get some reactions, turn things back over to, uh, to Maria and Shanita. So first, the New York State budget. So there were a lot, there was, there are a lot of really important uh, wins there. Uh, most significantly, uh, the, the budget included an expansion in childcare assistance for lower income families, raising the income eligibility cap from currently it, it is uh, capped at 200% of the federal poverty level beginning on August 1st. So right around the corner, it will increase to 300% of the federal poverty level. It's estimated that approximately 260,000 New York children will be newly eligible for childcare assistance. Um, given that childcare costs families upward of $15,000 a year for a single child, this is an extraordinary, um, this is gonna be life-changing for a lot of families. Um, the budget also included uh, another round of one-time one stabilization grants um, uh, or short-term, I won't say one-time, short-term stabilization grants for childcare providers. And it's gonna be principally focused on um, helping providers pay, pay wages. Um, these, these new grant applications just went online. Um, so uh, that's, that's really, really important. Um, and then also, as Shanita alluded to, there was a, a significant uh, rate hike, uh, an increase in the amount that providers will be reimbursed uh, for those who provide care to families receiving child care subsidies. And so these are really important investments. And then I want to highlight just one really important development in New York City, which important to note is home to almost half of the state's children. Um, the New York City budget included a $10 million fund, um, which will be used to ensure access to childcare subsidies to New York City children, regardless of immigration status. Um, and this is a really important development for New York City's children. And we're very hopeful that um, this program will be extended to uh, benefit all the state's children. So with that, I am super excited to, to get reactions from Maria and Shanita. Um, so Maria, I'm gonna start with you. So what is the most urgent childcare challenge that, that you see in your community of Erie County, the one that keeps you up at night? And you know, will the investments that I just described, will they alleviate any of these you know, concerns? Will they help address any of these challenges? First of all, thank you for this opportunity, Shanita. I am delighted to be with you as the women, the largely women that are working in this sector, they are passionate about childcare and they are professionals. You know, they are not down the street corner babysitters that, and I think that is a woefully uh, inadequate understanding of the women in this industry. You know, they are professional women who are professional educators who themselves have been trained as educators, and they are the front line of identifying early interventions for our kiddos. So I'll tell you my own story. My son 
you know, was not meeting his developmental milestones at age 18 months and at two-year-olds. And I had raised exactly zero other 18-month-old kiddos, right? Like, this is my first kid. I'm 28 years old. What do I know about what is the developmental milestone and how, you know, by the time this child is two years old, they should not be W-sitting. They should be going up every other stair. They should be able to hold their pencil differently, right? And it is the professional women in the childcare industry that identified early intervention strategies for my kiddo. And that's because they're professional trained educators. And to not pay them that way is an injustice. So that's thing number one. Thing number two, Didi, about why it's upsetting to me and keeps me up at night is because it makes the kind of recruitment around new childcare providers really, really difficult. So we just talked about how one of the state budget wins is to grow the eligibility for families that are coming into the childcare system. Uh, but we are having a hard time recruiting childcare workers because those wages are absolute crap. Let's, I mean, Washington Post story from September of last year, the headline of the story, this is not my words, is Washington Post headline. The wages are absolute crap. So that is uh, uh, another part of the problem. And then I think the third reason why I find it upsetting, Didi, and why it keeps me up at night is because the, the government is part of the problem. When the government sets a standard and we are, and, and, and I... I, I just mean we as in pu the public sector sets that that market rate at a rate that is so low, then then that means unintentionally, but nonetheless problematically, OCFS is falsely suppressing the wages of women and minorities. That's like we need to look at the policy and then analyze the outcome and name it. And the name of that is a, a, a state-sanctioned false suppression of wages for women and minorities. And that's intolerable. You know, that's, we, can, we, can't, we can't carry on that way. We can't continue to take advantage of the women uh, whose shoulders are broad and who are amazing and on whom the entire rest of the economy is built and not pay them properly. Yes, Yes, for, for too long, right? We have been relying on, on women, on these amazing childcare providers to, to do, always asking them to do more for less and less and less. That's and to it. hold up the entire economy on their shoulders while we exploit them. And that's woefully unjust. And, and we're we're on our way to changing it, thanks to the good work of the Empire State Campaign for Child Care and, you know, many of the other advocates around the country. But, uh, but nevertheless, uh, until it is, until it is ac actually changed, it remains an injustice. Yeah. So, Shanita, I'm, I want to keep talk, talking about that. Uh, uh, there's so much. We could spend the entire hour on that. But so I mentioned in the, in the brief, overview of the budget wins that that one of them was a pretty significant rate increase. So um, um, every few years, New York State uh, does what they call a market rate survey and they um, there are a lot of imperfections in the process, but um, but by using this survey, they set new rates for 
paying child care providers. And because of the pandemic and other issues, there hadn't been a market rate for four years. So we were, you know, using rates uh, that were derived from four years ago when we know the world was completely different and costs were completely different. And then also sort of, as Maria was alluding to, it's sort of always been set artificially low. So so this new market rate, it's it's re- it's more recent. It was just done, you know, in the last year, and it's at a higher percentile. Um, so it's 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 a big boost. But Shanita, you've talked about how many many providers in your network don't can't access who who serve childcare uh, who who serve children who receive childcare subsidies have a really hard time accessing rate hikes, and in fact haven't haven't gotten a rate hike in years, you know, not just this most recent. So can you, I was so surprised to hear that. Can you explain how, how that happens and what that, and what that means for the providers in your network? Well, certainly thanks to all of the advocacy efforts with Empire State, Campaign for Child Care, EC on Move, so many organizations, providers are coming out and um, talking with their legislators And this past year, providers across the modalities, across the state, all advocated for the reimbursement at the 80th percentile. We reported to OCFS that childcare providers who have been caring for children for many years, going beyond 20 years, have never received an increase from the reimbursements due to the extensive, time-consuming, over-detailed way of having to apply for these increases. So they don't even bother. OCFS in turn created the attestation form for providers that would assist only those who cared for children uh, attached to subsidy vouchers. The fear was that providers who served private paying families would use the higher reimbursement rate as an opportunity to increase rates for private families, making access unattainable, unaffordable for families. This is an unfounded fear. The market rates and what families were paying was always below the true cost of care. ECEN on the move and NACI came together and made a survey form and asked providers to complete the survey anonymously to document what they were charging families within all the age groups. And what we found was that private paid families were already paying over market rates. The market rates are so low, it's very easy to pay over that. For this reason, advocates were all very careful to promote raising the workforce's reimbursement rates in conjunction with expansion of family eligibility. We do this together so that families don't feel the when market rate increases on the provider end. It is so important for us to have automatic market rate increases across the board. When the rates go up, we should have it automatically. The, the, to, to ask providers to attest or to not uh, um, afford the, the opportunity to have those rates automatically assumes that you're, we're already getting what we're supposed to get as workforce caring for children. We are not. That, just on that premise alone, the rates should increase for providers across the board, across the state as they come about. But this is a, a struggle that we're having. We continue to have. Thank you, Shanita. I think yeah, I think it's just really important to um, 
it's, it's, well, it's always so important to hear directly from providers, from parents about what's really happening on the ground. And I think, I, I know, I mean, I've been thinking about childcare for a long time and I was, I was shocked to learn that, you know, when you think about a rate increase that's based on, you know, doing a survey of, of every community in the state to determine, we all know, right, that costs have increased significantly in the last year, in the last four years, uh, particularly because the New York State you know, each year has has experienced an increase in the minimum wage. So, you know, that's, and of course, all the other costs have also gone up. So it just, you know, I always assumed that when there's a rate increase, that then everybody experiences the rate increase, that there wasn't another uh, level of hurdles. So, um, uh, so thank you for all the work that you see on the move has done to elevate this and the Empire State campaign for child care's position is exactly as you just said it automatic rate increases that's absolutely what what should happen um, and we're hopeful that it will so I want to keep talking about about impl implementation right so you know I talked about all these 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 policy wins and I think all of us know that you can put a lot of money into a problem but if it doesn't get implemented properly if it doesn't get to the people who need needed if the supports aren't rolled out in an effective way, free of administrative hurdles and, and other obstacles, much, much like these rate hikes, right? Then it, the win doesn't mean very much, right? So Maria, I, can you talk to us about um, any implementation challenges that you're seeing or that you anticipate seeing in Erie County, um, maybe in relation to this, uh, expansion and eligibility that's about to happen on, on August 1st or, you know, anything else that's on your radar? I do think, uh, thank you, Didi. I do think the expansion uh, will be a problem, not because, I mean, that's a perfect example of a policy that's super well-intentioned. And of course we support that. It's just that we, so far, we haven't had the workforce um, the, the return to the workforce in childcare that's going to be necessary to fully implement that statewide. So I imagine other communities, in addition to Erie County, will see some hiccups there. You know, we, we recognize that we lost, based on the study that Erie County did, we lost 1,100, you know, childcare workers uh, just in sorry, 11%, I, I, uh, I meant 11% of our childcare workers, which translates into actually 3000 workers, but 11% of the childcare workforce left the childcare workforce just in the 18 months between, you know, late uh, 2019 and early 2021. So, um, so that, you know, that's a, a hurdle that's going to be necessary in implementation. I think the other hurdle in implementation, Didi, is going to be around those stabilization grants. I mean, they were, they had a rocky rollout the first time around, you know, I think they were very slow. They being, uh, the state was very slow to get that, that money out the door. Um, and I think they typically worked through the CCRNs, the child care resource networks, uh, um, across the state, but I, I am concerned a little bit about the infrastructure in the in the implementation of those stabilization grants. You know, we could see a lot of sort of overwhelming, uh, overwhelming number of applicants 
that, that, you know, that are going to be challenging um, to get through, you know, the direct deposit issue. Uh, I know that, you know, that's, uh, that's an issue. And the state not really having contracts with direct uh, providers, uh, childcare providers. So having to identify a pass through for that money and all of that pass through just creates additional administrative hurdles and, you know, and, and slows things down. So I do think in addition to actually having the workforce uh, that will support the increased eligibility, implementation of the stabilization grants will be a challenge. Thanks, Maria. Shanita, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, sort of direct a similar question to you. I wanted to, and, and if you can speak to implementation, but in the context of two uh, pieces of legislation that uh, passed this last session um, and are awaiting signature uh, by the by the governor. So the first is we refer to it as the 24 month um, eligibility option. And so what what that uh, law would do is it right now um, a, a family who applies for child care subsidies has to submit a significant amount of documentation to prove they're eligible. Um, and it the eligibility uh, lasts for 12 months. And, um, and then they have to go through the whole process again. And it can be a very significant um, hurdle for a lot of families. And it's also really time consuming for um, the, the county administrators who are, you know, doing tons of things. And they also, they have to do this recertification. And the reality is that, un unfortunately, families' economic situations and um, other, you know, relevant pieces of the application don't really change that often. So what this bill will allow is for um, the, the certification to endure for 24 months and it's at county options. So that's, that's one. Um, and then the second is we call it the decoupling um, child care subsidy from hours of work bill. That's a, that's a mouthful, but essentially right now a family can only get Childcare subsidies for the exact hours that the parent or parents are at work, and um, this is really hard um, and hard for kids, hard for parents, hard for childcare providers. If parents have are working part time or have fluctuating hours, um, they have to pull their kids in and out of care. Childcare providers have a really hard time keeping up with you know uh, fluctuating enrollment, etc. So federal law doesn't require that. So this, this law um, will allow the flexibility that families need um, and stability that families need by just uh, not tying subsidy to these exact hours of work. So those are the two bills that are sitting on the governor's desk and we hope she'll sign them any moment. Uh, Shanita, do you, how do you think one or both of these bills will change things on the ground once they're passed? So it would be great if New York could just be known as this child care centered type of state from the ground. You know, a provider is not thinking about all those different types of policies that what we're faced with is families knock on the door and tell us what they need. Now, the decoupling bill 
that needs to pass because parents come to us with all different types of situations that we, as the business owner and the provider, right in the building or right in the corner, right neighbor, we have to solve that problem. And a policy is whether a policy passed or not, we have to solve that problem. So if a parent is going to work and then all of a sudden she wants to go to school and the yada yada with the hours and the not decoupled, we still have to solve that problem. We, we still have to work it out with the parents. So I would love to see the state be more engaged in the issues of childcare that families have and decoupling those hours from work requirement, that is all a part of it. This is intricate. Childcare is so intricate in, the in, in our lives, going to school, going to work. It, everything we need to do, we need childcare at some point in time. But again, the 24 month eligibility bill, that has to happen right now, because as we understand, ACS has a 20, I'm sorry, has a 12 month backup, backup. So we, we are handling, and I'm sure they're doing their best, working hard, but the truth of the matter is the wait list for families for ACS is, they're working on families on the applications dating back to July of 2021. That does nothing for families who have applied since then through today. So right now there are no applications being taken. So this option, the 24 month eligibility option would be helpful to the agencies for HRA and ACS to process faster, assuming that the family that needed it 12 months ago still need it for the next 12 months. Just, you know, um, being more family, a more family centered type of uh, state that considers family needs of child, for childcare, 24 months is not a lot to ask for. I guarantee you as a provider, the family that used me for 24, six months, when it was six months and then turned to 24 uh, eligibility, 12 month eligibility, she will still need it. Many parents need it throughout the entire, the, all the children. I've, we've had uh, providers have had children from the same families two, three children. So no one's eligibility status is changing that drastically, that fast. So we need it. We need the 24 month eligibility and we need that now. Maria, did, did you have anything you wanna add from sort of the, the county perspective? Um, uh, I don't, just that I agree. <laughs> I, uh, I, yeah, I, I really agree. I think, I think the burden of having to recertify, you know, in in that process is noteworthy, and it's it's noteworthy both to the individual, but also to our social service staff. So, you know, the idea of being able to change that window of time uh, for an extended uh, and longer period, I think, is 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 uh, is very useful. So, Maria, I'm going to keep you. Keep yes, you can stay off mute. Um, so I I want to start. I, I know that you um, think a lot about like what what's next, right? So we 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 got some really important wins, and we have some right now implementation ch challenges that we hope we're all going to tackle together um, with our state leaders. But so now what, right? I mean. 
big steps this year, but we're, there's still so many families that are not, not going to be served, that are still left out. And there's still real challenges around wages because we have some short-term solutions or, or relief, not even solutions, but um, we're going to be facing some real, real problems when the state, the next round of stabilization runs out. So what's, what's next? How, how do, how do we figure out what's next? Um, I think, I think we have to, a couple of things on that, Dee. The first one is we have to make sure that we don't give up the fight at the federal level. And while we can make a very specific ask of state government, the truth is, you know, and I've been monitoring the comments in the chat. I mean, the truth is, you know, the, the whole childcare system needs an overhaul and, you know, and we we have to we have to really reimagine as a country how we're going to treat the care economy in general. And you know, the Build Back Better legislation that was originally proposed, uh, you know, by the Biden administration had a you know a ceiling on which families you know would not have to pay more than their you know than 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 uh, I believe it was seven percent of their income. Uh, on on childcare, we 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 already know that housing and urban development sets a, a threshold around housing at thirty percent. If you're paying more than thirty percent of your income, you know, then you're considered housing cost burdened. Well, you know, we so so I guess my first answer to the question of what's next is we have to continue to be you know, really taking the fight to the federal government and making sure that the federal government is getting in the game here. And part of why that's necessary is because the true reimagining of how this works is going to require money, re like resources. And, you know, and, and we can't, we, local taxpayers can't sort that out alone. And it's not even you know, even just state taxpayers can't sort that out alone. Like we have to really, the federal government has got to re uh, uh, shuffle the deck on, you know, on, on how we are, you know, bringing income into the government uh, in the form of taxes and, and achieving the kind of public good that we have from early education and, Childcare, which should be considered early education. Um, so I guess that's thing number one. And I and then my my other comments on how to do that are to, you know, continue to build the coalition of voices that that are the most effective messengers, you know, at all the different levels of government and. I appreciate, Didi, that you were going through my bio. The the one part of my background that uh, that you didn't get to was, you know, my uh, right out of college, my first job, I served as the executive director of a nonprofit organization called the Coalition for Economic Justice and did community organizing. And there is there will never, ever, ever be a replacement to organized voices and organize people knocking on the doors of the system and demanding change. And the broader that coalition is, the more likely it is to be effective. And what has been so effective, and I think is noteworthy about why the wins were garnered in this year's state budget is because this coalition is so broad, because it is diverse in terms of the population of people uh, that are active in it, uh, ethnically diverse, uh, but it's also diverse in uh, in the types of um, 
of stakeholders that are interested. This is an important issue for parents. It's an important issue for businesses who cannot find employees. And then when you examine that issue, why can't you find employees? And you start to really break down an analysis of the problem, then you realize, well, millions of women have dropped out of the workforce because they don't have any childcare. So, you know, the, the, the coalition becomes broader based on the, you know, the, the invitation to work with diverse stakeholders stakeholders who really have a interest in this issue. And, and I think, you know, how, how do we build a successful movement locally at a statewide level and at a federal level, we continue to build that broad based, really diverse coalition of organized voices with an organized message, you know, making those kinds of demands. And if there's anybody else on this call, that is a policymaker yourself, the only other piece of information I would add to that is to just really be loyal to the concept of proximity. And we talked a little bit about this, Didi, like, you know, lawmakers have, you know, and everybody, we, we, we have, we have limited resources and those res those limited resources are time and cash. So we need to make sure that we use the time that we have and the cash that we have to solve the right problem. And if we are not proximate enough to the problem, we will not use our power, which is time and resources, to solve the right problem. So that requires an intentionality around being proximate to the issues. And and though you know the 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 parents, the providers, the business leaders, the stakeholders that are a part of this webinar, you know, you your your job is to help you know be in the face of the lawmakers and bring the problem to them and create that proximity. And if you're a lawmaker on this call, your job is to have your listening ears on and to pay attention to that so that when you are exercising the power of your office, you're doing it in a way that solves the right problem. So we have to keep building because, uh, because there, is, there, there are some terrific wins. And this the Schuyler Center, the coalition of stakeholders that are on this call deserve tremendous credit for having garnered those victories. But there is more to be done. And, and it will take ongoing organizing and ongoing building uh, to make it happen. There's so much there. Thank you so much, Maria. I, 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 right now I'm thinking time and cash, time and cash, but, but there was there are so many others. So thank you. Um, I'm going to just pause for one second, and then I'm I'm going to give Shanita the last word here. There are some great questions, and one that sort of ties in with Maria's point was a, a question about you know what are the next steps for getting appointments made to the child care availability task force, and how, how do we get them to be in laying the 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 framework for universal child care and really implementing that framework. Um, so the, the task force um, has been, there was legislation that was passed that extended the tenure of the task force and it expanded its, its mission. And we have been told that uh, there is a hope that, that the task force will begin to convene again uh, by the end of summer, or I, I would imagine more likely in early fall, um, and appointments are still being made. Uh, I think the best ways to get the attention of the task force and get appointed, let, let folks know on the Empire State campaign, because we're putting together a slate 
but then also you could reach out to uh, your state senator, your assembly member, um, because uh, each leader, the leaders of each house get three appointments. Um, most important, and we're pushing hard for um, powerful parent and provider voice um, on the task force. Um, and I think this also ties in with a, another great comment um, about how overly complex our childcare system is. It gets in the way of itself. I think that there's no question. We, we don't have time to talk about how to solve that, um, but that's one of the jobs of the Child Care Availability Task Force is getting getting experts and providers and parents all together to figure out how we can fix this, you know, sort of um, in some ways fundamentally broken system. Um, there are definitely ways to do it, but it, it's, it's um, we need, you know, a lot of minds um, working on that. Shanita, I have um, a question for you, very similar to the question I posed to Maria, but um, what, what does, you know, we got some wins, so much more to be done. What does New York need to prioritize next on the road to getting us to universal childcare? We're, we're, you know, we should get there next year, but we're probably not right. We let, but maybe just a few years, but what do we need to do next year? Like what, what is a top priority for you and, and the providers you represent? Oh, Boy, in one word. Well, first, I want to say exclamation point on everything Maria said, exclamation point times 10. Thank you. Um, wages, wages, wages. Um, to uplift the profession of caregiving, care about it. Uh, we care about the children. They can't, we can't care about children if we're not cared about. It's a distraction. It's a distraction to not be paid properly to not have benefits, pensions, retirement, all those things, the American dream. We cannot participate in the American dream, period. Poverty, how do you accept children in the home and do your best and teach? I, I have to put a smile on my face. The children don't, don't need to know, and families, you don't want them to know that you have to figure out what you're eating but, but they're eating well through, you know, CACFP guidelines. You know, they're eating well. You've done, that costs money more than you're being reimbursed for that. So, so much is going out. You're paying minimum wage or better to your assistant so you can retain that workforce. All of the overhead, you have to pay this workforce. We have yet to walk out. Don't encourage us. <laughs> you heard it here. But um, in all serious, um, we, it's, it's very serious matter. You have to pay the workforce across all of the modalities. Um, New York has to lead this way, lead the way until all the legislators and major businesses makes childcare an essential sector. We're not going, we're going nowhere fast. Stabilizations are quick fixes, just pay. You have providers who have their degrees Many, many different types of degrees, overqualified. There's no career ladder, there's nothing. And I just wanna, I have to say publicly, child care family childcare providers in particular are being herded into initiative after initiative, hoping for the best. Herded into initiatives, meaning push, come join uh, the networks, come join this and that. 
it'll be you'll, it'll be lucrative. There's no lucrative nothing going on. <laughs> There's there is still no benefits, no good pay, bad pay. Wondering if they'll get the 80th percentile. And these are the same providers that advocated for higher rates. They're they're being told it's a suggestion. The market rate is a suggestive rate. This is the market rate is not even even the new rates are not even the cost of care, true cost of care. So that's out. Pay the workforce for quality. You cannot, the quality care, it, you have to pay quality price for that. And then help families be able to afford that. We raise both sides of the equation at the same time. This is what we need. Until this happens, we're going nowhere fast. Bravo. That was, <laughs> yes, thank you. Okay. So I'm going to um, start closing things down, um, even though I would love to just talk all day. So I, just a, a few, first of all, I, 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 let's harness this, this energy. Um, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to give everybody um, two, they're, they're small, but super important action steps to take right now that could really um, not solve the childcare crisis, but, but take us a long way. So one, as, as Maria talked about, to, to really get to universal childcare, we need serious public investment and we need it from all levels of government. The federal government is one piece of that puzzle right now at this moment in Washington, D.C., they are negotiating uh, the, the next budget. They are negotiating reconciliation. Um, child care should be in there. There is a strong, not build back better, but a strong proposal um, that until very recently was front and center in reconciliation. We are hearing it may not be there anymore. Um, New York State is the home of the Senate leader. Senate Leader Schumer needs to hear from all of us. Child care must be in reconciliation. Um, yes, Jamaica has put a link. We make it very easy. Please click on that link. Let Senator Schumer know um, this will not stand. Uh, child care must be in reconciliation. And then um, action number two, call or email or otherwise contact Governor uh, Hochul, um, thank her for being a leader in childcare and ask her to sign the decoupling bill and ask her to sign 24 month eligibility. I believe Jamaica included uh, a letter or uh, that we have to that effect. Um, and please, take that action as well. Um, thank you everyone so much for giving us some of your time today and please uh, stay tuned. There will be more conversations in our Schuyler Center conversation series because we are still celebrating our 150th anniversary. We have a few more months left and uh, we are going to um, celebrate us for as long as we can. Um, have a great afternoon and uh, we'll see you all soon. Thanks so much for joining me today on Raising Rochester. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and family, including on social media. And feel free to send feedback or show ideas to me at pete at thechildrensagenda.org. Until next time, on behalf of The Children's Agenda, I'm Pete Bosley.